This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 592, Spotlight on Ant-Man and the Wasp. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans podcast. I'm your host, Adam Chapman. This is episode 592. It's our Spotlight on Ant-Man and the Wasp episode. Sorry, this is coming up so late. This is coming up July 12th. And of course, the movie was released on Friday, July 6th, although I actually got to see it on July 5th. Uh, originally, I was supposed to record this episode uh, jointly with my wife. Unfortunately, uh, scheduling just kind of got away from us. Uh, being able to kind of carve out the time to sit down and actually talk about the movie uh, ended up kind of uh, not being uh, something we were able to do. Um, sometimes this happens when you have a five-year-old and they're running around and five-year-olds going to camp and you got all sorts of stuff going on and all this, all these things. It just podcasting ends up kind of falling to the wayside. Uh, kept trying to push this off and uh, hopefully uh, be able to record with her, but unfortunately that was not the case. So let's talk about Ant-Man and the Wasp. Um, I really enjoyed... Uh, this film, I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, it was a very enjoyable film. It kind of it, it moved forward really well. Um, it definitely captured the energy and fun of the original, and I think it probably. It, I, I think it was actually a better film. Uh, I still like the first one a lot. I think this one just um, had a lot more. I, I like the villain more because the villain was not just an outright villain. Whereas um, in the first one was Corey Stoll. Uh, he was a very comic booky villain. He felt like a very much a black hat with the way he was, you know, shrieking people into like goo and just kind of wiping them off. And like he was definitely someone who had fucking lost his mind. Um, whereas here the villain is the ghost and it was used in a very different way. And it was really cool visual effects to see how they realized how the ghost was going to work. And again, felt a lot less like the ghost that we saw in the original comics, whereas the, you know, kind of the uh, corporate saboteur, and more in line with the kind of creepy ghost that was in the Thunderbolts. Um, now, in terms of you know the way the character looked and kind of the effects and some of the uh, the powers and being more unstable. Um, that being said, the version of the ghost that we got here was a basically a new character, um, but it really is the daughter of Elias Star. Who you know, fans who know comics are going to be like, wait a minute, Elias Star, like Egghead. And I love that they had a quick shot of him and you can kind of see his bald head and it was kind of co- it was very cool uh, to see that he you know. He, we get to see an, an actual egghead is kind of there. Um, and we get this idea again that, you know, uh, Hank had villains and Hank had people he was up against and Hank had, you know, detractors and there's people who, uh, you know, were competitors, etc. And I like that, um, you know, we're not forgetting Hank Pym's world. In fact, we're still getting to see how his world kind of interacts and ends up affecting Scott Lang's world. So uh, I like how they're using the idea of legacy here that we still get the idea that, you know, there wasn't Ant Man, you know, operational back then. Um, which we already knew in the first movie, but being able to expand more of that I thought was really cool. Um, I loved using Bill Foster, um, and uh, the fact that uh, Lawrence Fishburne got to play him. He, he played him so pitch-perfect, pitch and um, again, what I like about the movie is that there's no outright villain. There's people, you know, against each other for different reasons, and obviously Ghost is, you know, willing to sacrifice them, but she wants to not die, and it's that's a pretty compelling, you know, reason for her to do things. Um, it's not just her trying to take over the world or do anything, you know, like a little bit more generic. It's, I, I don't want to die. Um, that's pretty easy to understand as a motivation, and you could see that the pain she's in, why it would, would, would cause the ghost to really go to these darker places um, to try and, you know, stay alive and keep things going. And so she's willing to, you know, kill in order to survive because for her, it's either I'm di- either someone else dies or I die, and I don't want to die. Again, it's very easy to understand that motivation, and it's very compelling. Um, 
the, the 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 movie does have to do a lot of heavy lifting in terms of you know trying to establish you know okay well the last time we saw uh, Scott Lang he was in jail and how are we going to show where he is now so obviously the idea was always that um, everyone was broken out by Steve Rogers but at some point you know he made a deal with the government and was able to go into house arrest basically and uh, he can't you know have any co- any connection with his previous associates and I the it's interesting because it's both the good and the bad thing about the Marvel Universe is that you have this, you know, this amazing tapestry to pull from, and the characters can bleed in and out of different movies. But when you have a series like Ant-Man, and you read, if you were to just watch Ant-Man and Ant-Man of the Wasp, you're missing a story. Um, you're missing a big piece there because everything that you know Scott does, which is cool when he shows up in Civil War, it really makes you think about, well, he really screwed over his associates. Um, but at the time, he was just doing, hey, Cap asked me to do something. I'm going to go help the Avengers. This is cool. And ends up, you know, in, in the middle of something much bigger, much more dangerous. Um, but it's interesting to see the film. You know, the first film was all about Scott having to take responsibility and try to be a better person. And here he was you know it, it's it's still that struggle but uh, I liked how it's framed with with his daughter and how everything he does is for his daughter and it really really comes across because I mean I'm thinking about this is he one of the only Marvel superheroes uh, in in the, the movies to actually be an actual father besides Hawkeye I guess and Hawkeye you never really got to see him doing things in a very specific way for his children whereas for Ant-Man you do and you have him you know everything is about his, his kid everything is about uh, his daughter and Cassie, and she's played so perfectly in this in this uh, in these movies. Um, and I just I, I love his dynamic, and y- you feel like those relationships really feel lived in. Um, they feel real. They feel like the, you know the, this is a daughter who would lie to a you know an FBI agent to protect her father. Uh, this is a man who would do everything he can to be a parent and wants to be a parent and wants to be a good person and he doesn't really want to get rolled back into this because he's about to be a free man he's about to you know go on probation and be out of house arrest like he he's put in the time and he's finally almost done and then everything threatens to kind of you know screw that up um but he's also screwed over his you know his this new family um you know what uh, Hank and Hope could have been and were becoming, and he kind of gave that up and screwed them over as a mi- in the middle of you know trying to be an Avenger and do these other things. So there's a lot going on in terms of the characterizations, but it works so well. And again, everything's moved on quite well. I like how again this feels like two years later. Things are different. Um, the fact that you know him and Lewis and uh, and the others are you know developing a security company uh, that's very much right out from the comics. You know that's something that that, that Scott Lang has done. Um, I like that it was woven in here, and it felt again very, very organic. Um, the frequent sequences of Scott trying to you know make sure that the FBI thinks that he's he's still there and that he's fine is really interesting. Um, so like I, I I really enjoyed this. I think it was great. It was just so much fun. There's just, there's a lot of great action. Um, plus, I mean Michelle Pfeiffer as uh, the Wasp was really cool. And again, you're opening up a whole new kind of realm and the idea that you know, she's you know there's healing particles in the quantum realm. Like really, it can be anything they want it to be. I read articles where like maybe it's the negative zone, but not being called the negative zone. And I almost don't even care. It's just a new avenue for them to explore and have fun with, um, which is really cool. Again, it's nice to you know have a comic. Uh, sorry, a comic. A movie that's trying to push things forward and do more things and expand uh, where 
mirror can tell stories. Um, there's so much hijinks done here with being able to shrink and uh, enlarge things in a way that they've never really elaborated in the comics. But I think partially is that you don't get that same wow factor as you do in a movie because you have... Yeah, it, it just wouldn't look the same. If you had a, a building, and then suddenly it's something that someone just kind of walks away with, it doesn't quite look the same on the page. I don't know why. I can just imagine what it would look like on a comic book page, and it doesn't quite have the, the same kind of fun and grandeur that they're able to have here, where you know you have the you know the micro-machines, and then he's you know has the vehicle, or he takes his, his building with him, uh, packs it away with him. You don't really have that anywhere else. Um, and I really like how they're able to incorporate that, but I don't know if that's ever really been done successfully in the comics, nor do I think it necessarily would uh, with how comics function. Um, I loved that Evangeline Lilly really got to kick ass as the Wasp, and she's, again, a fully realized character. And what I liked about the two-year jump is that she's been operating. She knows what she's doing now. She's not a newbie. She's better than Scott is, and that's, you know, uh, definitely played up a, a lot that she's just more capable than he is and always will be. Like He can think a little bit more outside the box and he's a little bit more screwball but uh, and he can get things done that way and they definitely play with the fact that he's got that kind of a new suit that has all sorts of weird um, you know, malfunctions throughout which again a lot, leads into a lot of levity uh, but Evangeline Lilly gets to play a supreme badass uh, you know, who's very confident and comfortable and a, a great extension of the character she played in the first movie. I uh, much prefer her haircut here. It was just so severe in the first one, I couldn't get over it. Uh, but, uh, her haircut looks so much better. Uh, and she just looks more like a hero. And, uh, you know, she really kicks ass uh, throughout the movie. And, you know, and I, I like her motivations and Hank's motivations. It's interesting to see, like, the idea that they, they go so single-minded that nothing else matters but except for, you know, finding Hank's wife or... Um, Hope's mom and Michelle Pfeiffer's awesome. Um, I love the de aging kind of uh, tech that they use or the imagery because uh, really you really buy into that being young Michelle Pfeiffer and that being young Michael Douglas and uh, and they still look good older too and uh, it's just nice to have Michelle Pfeiffer around and she doesn't play a huge portion of the movie but she's definitely here and even when I love when um, Paul Rudd gets to uh, play Michelle Pfeiffer acting through him and I. That was, I mean, it was a riot because obviously it was played for humor, but it just felt very, it let you see how good an actor Rudd can be as well. He's channeling, you know, another character and trying to say, okay, if another character is taking control of my character using my physical body, uh, what would that language look like? What would it look like to have that energy pump through me coming out of my voice? And I thought it was a really, really good choice. Um, Michael Pena returns, and I think he, I wish we'd had more of him because he's just so enjoyable to have on screen. He's just electric. He just brings something special to, uh, to every scene he's in. But everyone did. I thought the cast was really great. Um, again, the actress who played the ghost, uh, I'm trying to remember her name, Hannah John Kamen. Hannah John Kamen. Uh, she was really good. And again, she made me feel something for the character of the Wasp. Again, sort of the Wasp, uh, the ghost. Uh, the ghost isn't just a, a one-note baddie. In fact, it's multi-layers. Um, there's a lot of supporting players who don't get to do a lot, but are still really enjoyable. I loved uh, Bobby Cannavale uh, and Judy Greer as... Um, uh, the well, Judy obviously playing uh, Scott Lang's ex-wife, and Kennevale playing the husband to uh, the ex-wife, and I loved how they showed that relationship being so different than it was in the first one, and the fact that you know every time they're having a hug. Uh, you know, between uh, Judy Greer's character and Cassie, uh, you have him running in and being part of it with uh, Scott. And I, I really liked that because in the first one, it was almost a very stereotypical relationship of, you know, you have the new the new husband and, you know, he's a cop and the ex-husband's a con and obviously they're going to be at loggerheads and they're not really going to think a lot about each other. And, you know, the cop is, you know, clearly going to not 
care for wanting to have an ex-con and what that might energy might mean to the family he's trying to build with um with his new wife and you know and this new kind of stepdaughter um and so but here they really kind of show that time has passed and that he's totally flipped around on on who scott is and what scott can be and he's proud of him and you know and he thinks from his buddy and you know that they have this kind of relationship i thought that was that that was so cool, and I really liked seeing that. And again, it was it was going in a direction that maybe you wouldn't have expected. Um, you know, you, you expect them to have a certain relationship, and I like that they said, "No, these two years have changed these people. These people are in a different place now." And I really like that. Uh, I love the use of Jimmy Woo. Um, well, he's a little bit more comedic than I expected from Jimmy Woo, but uh, he was pretty cool to see. And I loved all the close up magic. Like, there's just a lot of good gags that keep coming around in this in this comic uh, comic in this movie. Um, it's just it's just a lot of fun, you know. It's and it's a great palate cleanser after uh, Infinity War, which was so serious and so you know pedal to the metal. And then this is this is a, a, a movie all about kind of slowing it down and telling a smaller story, but also still a very big story or very small story depending on how you look at it in terms of the quantum realm. But uh, you know it's a more intimate story. Um, you know it's not nearly as big in scope, but it's just so much fun. It's breezy. Uh, it has its own sensibility, a lot of humor, a lot of gags, and they all work. And they don't really feel, nothing really felt like it bogged this movie down. Um, I'm not sure exactly what I'd give it. I'd probably give it like an eight, eight and a half. Like, it was just, it was a good, breezy, fun time. And I would definitely watch it again. Because, um, yeah, it's just, it's fun. And so, and so is the first time, man. Like, they're just, they're super fun movies that aren't trying to be too serious. And uh, I think because they understand the absurdity of, you know, how silly a character like this could be, they really are able to take it somewhere. And the way in which they personify or characterize uh, Scott Lang is really at the, at the heart of it because Rudd really sells it. He's, he, his character, uh, I think I read somewhere that they were saying that his character is kind of the opposite of Tony Stark because Tony Stark's all bluster, you know, all, you know, all ego, etc. And then you have a character like Scott who's, most of the time, just kind of like, like what? Like he's kind of behind everything, whereas Tony's trying to be on top of everything. And the, the, but they're and he's so so kind of disconnected and apathetic at times. Like oh whatever. Uh, whereas Tony's just so in it. So anyways, it's interesting um, way of looking at those two characters. Anyways, I really enjoyed this. I definitely recommend that if you haven't seen it and you've listened to me spoil all the movie, you should definitely go watch this. Um, it's it's a ton of fun. It's a really enjoyable uh, movie, and uh, yeah, highly recommended. Um, sorry that my wife couldn't be here to uh, to be part of the discussion, but yeah, this was an exceptionally enjoyable movie, and I'm really glad I got to see it. And uh, yeah, I hope Marvel keeps pumping out good movies. Uh, guess what? The next one is Captain Marvel, then the new Infinity War, or not Infinity War, Avengers 4, I should say, and then you have uh, the new Spider-Man movie. Was it Far From Home? I believe it's called. So uh, next movie, next year is going to be a big uh, big year for Marvel movies. We got uh, you know the ending of the Infinity War kind of story. Oh, I, before I move on, I should say, um, I did like the post-credit sequence with the snap being, uh, with its effects being felt, because um, I think it was necessary to show how it connects um, eventually. It does bring up some questions about chronology, and, you know, Scott wasn't a free man, like, he was a free man by the time uh, this was all going down, but again, it's possible that Steve Rogers didn't know what the exact timetable was, and probably didn't want to get him involved if he, you know, if he would do anything with his family. Um, so it makes sense why he wouldn't necessarily uh, bring him out of retirement or, or no to call on him per se um but we you know in my uh, so i saw it on the, the night before the official release and when the snap happened or we see that moment and everyone's kind of fading away when scott's in the quantum realm and you see a shot of everyone and just the ash blowing everyone away there was serious gasps in the audience just going, like people were just shocked 
And uh, I was curious if that might happen, but uh, it was still an awesome moment, definitely. Uh, after watching a, such a fun movie, uh, it kind of reminds you, no, things aren't so fun in the Marvel Universe right now. Um, and it, it kind of, again, this is one of those movies where, again, he, if you couldn't jump from Ant-Man 1 and Ant-Man 2 without missing something because of Civil War... And now, at the end of this movie, it's just like, wait, what? Like, if you haven't watched Infinity War, or you're waiting for some reason, that has kind of been spoiled, or at least a little bit, or they're going to ask questions like, wait, wait why, why do they disappear? And if you didn't watch, like, it's, at some point, you're, you can, you'll be able to, like, we're watching these as they come out in chronological time. Um, but eventually, like, you know, five years from now, someone might be like, oh, I want to watch the Ant-Man trilogy. And then they'll be like, oh, yeah, I forget that there's, like, missing pieces because of other movies. It's both the advantage and disadvantage of having a shared universe like this, and that kind of thing can happen. But it was a really cool post-credit sequence. The actual, like, I post-credit sequence at the very end with the ant on the drums, eh, forgettable. But you know what? They're not always, they're not always going to be, you know, huge plot points. Sometimes they're just going to be silly gags, and that's what we got. It was a fun one. But uh, the meaty one, obviously, was uh, everything that happened in that middle, because it really showed a lot, that they've been able to miniaturize the tech in order to go into the quantum realm, that they've identified healing crystals or healing energy in the quantum realm, and then that it gets kind of stranded in the quantum realm because uh, everyone kind of disappears in the snap heard around the world. Um, very cool. I really enjoyed it. Anyways, thanks for joining me. You can email me at comicshenanigans at gmail.com, like the show on Facebook, rate and review us on iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes, and also listen to us on Stitcher. Aw, you got pissed.